Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that ponders the purpose of cars and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we have news stories including the Women's World Car of the Year Award, fuel prices, oil as a political weapon, and fuel security. In our feature story, we have just driven the new Audi S3 hot hatch around Tasmania, but there is an embargo on talking about the drive experience. We will cover that in a few weeks' time. But we did speak to some executives from Audi about sustainability, the issues that people are considering in a vehicle purchase, and some of the features of the S3. We also talked about just how enjoyable Tasmania is to drive around, and some of the people we met. Brian Smith and I discuss a quirky news story that's not so much humorous and is really more than quirky. It is an astounding aspect of a car maker who proposed programming into its trial of autonomous functionality the ability to break the law. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au with links to social media and the podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. But now we must get this program going. First, the news. The Peugeot 308 has been declared the overall winner of the Women's World Car of the Year Award. It is categorised in Australia as a small passenger sedan in the same class as a Toyota Corolla. There has been some criticism of the award. This year they had six finalists, three of which were electric vehicles, which we have said in the past is a good progressive reflection, but they were all expensive models. The latest Model 308, which will be released in Australia in the second quarter of this year, has a small engine, 1.2 litres, three-cylinder, and will come with hybrid options and later a full electric model in 2023. Linda Jackson, CEO of the Peugeot brand, said that the vehicle represents an important part of the market, quote, because it covers a large part of the millions of potential users in the countries represented by the Women's World Car of the Year jurors, whatever their needs, habits, means and aspirations. Of course, while you might expect this sort of comment from the top representative of an organisation, there is an important trend there that needs to be recognised. Motoring awards have traditionally come out of the car performance side of the media, which has been dominated by male writers. While this award was judged by women, Peugeot, quite rightly, makes the important point that this is not picking a car for just women. A person's vehicle has progressively been reported more as a device for fitting in with a broad range of personal needs and community issues, rather than just the decadent joy of private motoring. The war in Ukraine has said to be a major component in the rising price of fuel. This is a particularly hot topic in politically dominated environments such as the United States. The US is the world's leading producer of oil at a rate of nearly 11.5 million barrels per day. This produces approximately 230 million litres of refined fuel per day. And the production rate has been increasing and is predicted to continue to do so. In recent years, Saudi Arabia has moved ahead of Russia into second place as far as production is concerned. Russia depends heavily on exports of oil, mainly to Europe, China and Asia. Very little is exported to America, and even that is about to be stopped. It was about 1% of America's imported oil. 
Given that some major oil companies have been making record profits, there has been suggestions that there might be some price gouging. Price gouging is defined as the practice of raising the price of goods, services or commodities to an unreasonable or unfair level. Such an increase in price is often as a result of a sudden increase of demand and shortage of goods, such as in the event of a natural disaster or other crisis, and it is illegal in most jurisdictions. Given that Russia accounts for about 12% of total world production, even if they don't export much of this to the US, the price of fuel will be significantly affected if Russia's export production is decreased. The surge in oil prices highlights what has become known as oil as a political weapon after the 1973 oil crisis. Russia depends heavily on exports of oil and will be impacted if this trade is significantly curtailed. The 1973 crisis was precipitated by Arab states in the form of an embargo and production cutbacks. Production was eventually cut by 25%. It was aimed at first world countries such as the United States, Great Britain, Canada and Japan in an effort to make them move to a more pro-Arab position and less supportive of Israel. It was not successful from a foreign policy perspective. There were some impacts on car design, but sustainable transport was an issue whose time had not yet fully come. In Australia, Holden designed the first Commodore as a reduction in size from the typical family car of the period. It struggled in sales and subsequent models grew in size again. The Ukrainian war has awakened Australia to an issue that we should have been addressing more thoroughly for some time. We are in a very weak position in terms of fuel security. We import the great majority of our oil, and while there are a few refineries, it is anticipated that they will be closed by 2030. Our storage capacity is very small, and storage alone is not the answer. Nearly four years ago, in May 2018, obviously before COVID and the latest political upheavals, the independent media outlet, The Conversation, ran an article under the heading Australia's fuel stockpile is perilously low and it may be too late for a refill. More recently, the federal government claimed to be addressing the problem with the published report Australia's Fuel Strategy. Some commentators referred to it as the FFS report. It failed to address the need for alternative fuels. It stated that, quote, the government's long-term fuel security goal is to increase our domestic storage and to hold a sovereign refining capability that meets our needs during an emergency as well as into the future. They continued, we will secure our local industry's capabilities while keeping fuel prices in Australia amongst the lowest in the OECD. Soon after came announcements that our refineries will close sooner rather than later, making a mockery of the concept of Australia having a sovereign refining capability. The great benefit of alternative fuel sources such as electricity stored in batteries or produced through hydrogen power are that they can be produced locally and do not need to be focused in a limited number of locations. Even if some people lack a desire to pursue pollution reduction out of a concern for global warming, there should still be strong support for local fuel sources. And that has been the news.
I had a quick trip to Tasmania to drive the new Audi S3, which comes in a sedan and what I called a hatchback, but I soon corrected, Audi calls it a sportsback. There is an embargo on talking about our driving impressions of the vehicle, so I will cover those in a few weeks' time. But I did get some time to talk to a few Audi executives about some of the strategic directions happening in the industry. Sean Cleary is Audi Australia's Corporate Communication Manager. We have briefly talked to him in the past about promoting both sustainability and performance. Sustainability, for example, the e-tron GT electric car, you not only do it in the vehicle, you back it up with the company operations as well. Yeah, that's right. So from the start of 2021, um, Australia's business operations um, have been powered by renewable energy, um, which we actually announced in 2020 in alignment actually with our first EV, which was the e-tron. And we thought it was an important step to show that as a business, as a company, even at a local level, um, you know, we're, we're very deliberately starting on this path towards sustainability. Obviously, the e-tron GT as, as well as the e-trons are all built in um, production facilities that are um, carbon neutral. So throughout the, the production process, um, that's, um, that's an important part of, of obviously our move to ele- you know, electric mobility. Um, ultimately, the reason we're moving towards electric vehicles is, is for the purpose of you know, greater sustainability and for the better of the future of the planet. So it's, it is an important part of what we're doing. An electric vehicle now is not the only decision. There's a whole range of things. And I think you talked about with the e-tron GT that it's performance, stupid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think what it shows is um, electric vehicles aren't just about efficiency and zero emissions, although obviously that is a very important part of why they exist. Uh, I think what the Atrium GT shows is that there's a real, a, a real sense of excitement that can be added to those kind of vehicles as well. And it's, it's such an exciting proposition because it is all new. It's one of the you know, very few performance vehicles that are on the market that are zero emissions and electric. And uh, we just can't wait to give customers you know, the opportunity to experience it for themselves. Audi's product manager, Peter Strudwick, added the need to understand the range of reasons people come to a product. Have you seen an evolution of the much more diverse amount of features within a car? Have you seen people embracing those across the board or does performance still stand out? I think it depends on which A3 you're talking about. But if we're talking about, say, S3, which is the car you've been driving today, performance is still probably, you know, one of the most important factors but you know there you know you can't generalize with this thing you know there are people that buy it because they love the design of it um and you know and and performance is maybe a secondary characteristic and they like and the size suits them and it's got all the luxury features that they they're looking for you know it's got a great stereo system it's got the beautiful fine apple leather seating and it's got really good infotainment as well i took up the story with sean about the lack of electric sports cars I'm actually surprised mm. that the Polestar came out and said they're building a this low-slung sports car. And I mean, Tesla started with one, mm. a Roadster, mm. but we've gone into SUVs and utes, mm. yet it's a performance vehicle. You think we're going to catch up with that? Do you think that uh, we'll see more of it as you know the sports car? Yeah, d- definitely. I, I think it's, um, you know, electric mobility, electric motors is just one technology. And as you would know, over the years, both Audi and other brands as well, that technology has transformed and evolved and changed many times. Um, but what's here to stay is driving enjoyment. 
and, and, and the RSE to run GT is what that looks like, you know, is the next step in the future. And, um, you know, I think what's very clear about Audi is that one of our key characteristics has always been sportiness. And so, you know, the ability to continue to cater for that in whatever future mobility looks like in electric mobility, et cetera, is a really important part of our brand promise. You even offset the for sustainability, the the presentation, didn't you? Was it? We, we did exactly, and and again, just just making sure that you know every, everything we're doing is we're on a journey. We're, we're certainly not saying that we're there yet, or that um, you know we're where we want to be. But um, progress is an integral part of of what we do as a, as a business. Um, you know, indeed, Volspring Technic um, means progress and advancement through technology. So um, that's quite literally what we're doing, um, whether it be offsetting any emissions that might be incurred as part of holding an event about an electric vehicle and sustainability or our business operations or the vehicle itself. Um, you know, th- these are all things that, that obviously add up and they're all important parts of the, of the whole. Do the customers react to that or, or is that just sort of self-justification if they get you know, hauled up about it? How, how do you think that people are, are feeling about that in its level of importance? I think it is appreciated because I think people who are thinking about vehicles like this at this time are, let's face it, they are early adopters. You know, electric vehicles are still a very small proportion of the Australian market. So, and even probably the global market, but more so in Australia. And so I think people, um, you know, certainly appreciate that there is that good alignment between what they are interested in, which is saving the planet and doing the right thing, and what Audi is, is in a way, helping them to achieve. It gives them a talking point too, as does the on the, on the e-tron GC, the flat underneath, which yeah. has golf ball-like dimples. Now that's something to, to you know to boast about at the at the golf club, isn't it? It, it is absolutely. Um, but I mean, obviously, the the golf ball is, and maybe not not many people realise it, but it is an aerodynamic device, device I should say, um, in the way that it cuts through the air, and you know, um, and, and so it, it's. I, I guess when you look at it through that sense, it's somewhat logical that you know maybe other. Um, executions would perhaps mirror that um, and certainly with um, the change to electric vehicles um, and you know the the changes in what is required of a car's design in terms of the balance of cooling and all that sort of stuff it, it's different the, the radiators are different there are no combustion engines to cool and all that sort of thing yet there are still differing cooling requirements all of that has been considered in the design of the Atron GT and and all other electric vehicles that we'll bring in, in ensuring that where it's useful, um, you know, our engineers and designers are taking a complete step back from what has gone before to offer a new interpretation of what's most beneficial for, for you know, vehicles in the future that are electric. That's a huge de- development opportunity. It is. Time and time again, we've heard from our designers and engineers that they're really enthused by the challenge because it, it is, it, you know, it gives them the ability to have such free lateral thinking because um, they're taking on brand new challenges. Yeah. It's a lovely concept, isn't it? It's got good staff morale point of view. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Mm. Sean, thank you for your time. Thanks, David. And that was Sean Cleary, Audi's Corporate Communications Manager. And we also heard from Peter Stradwick, their Product Planning Manager. This is Overdrive across Australia. 
I love travelling in Tasmania. Firstly, there is the heritage, most obvious in the European tradition, but the culture of the first Australians is worth digging into. I will talk about our first inhabitants and their appreciation of the country they travel through with their song lines in the coming weeks. But for a quick trip, it is the European buildings that first take your attention. Thank heavens they built things in stone, not just timber, so they last. A lot, but not all, of American buildings have been lost because they were not built in stone. Now, in Tasmania, not every building is heritage, and some in commercial areas have modern advertising on the outside, but there is still more than enough maintaining their original appeal. I really must try and find time to go there and walk around the streets to absorb the attractiveness and appeal of the history. We stayed in the inner city at Parliament Square, On a Wednesday night on the balcony, it was incredibly quiet. There might be a bit of background noise in the weekday peak, but the stillness of the harbour and the surrounds is very calming. The next day, when driving out of Hobart, it was 9.30 on a weekday morning. It took all of five minutes, and there must have been at least two or three sets of traffic lights to get into the suburbs, and another five minutes, we were on a winding rural road through natural forests heading towards the surrounds of Mount Wellington. The rural highways between small towns reminded me of going on holidays when I was a child. One lane in each direction, and then, if you were lucky to be on a good road, the sheer joy, when stuck behind a truck, of seeing a road sign saying, overtaking lane five kilometres ahead. But there are also secondary arterials that had twisting sections, with corners marked with advisory speeds as low as 25 kilometres an hour. I must look up how many hot hatches are sold in Tasmania. Surely it must be above average. We drove southwest from Hobart through the Huon Valley, including the township of Huonville, where a few hundred metres from the town centre there were houses beside the road, and behind them, farmland. It's the area that is predominantly used by the ABC television show Rosehaven. We arrived at Signet and stopped at a park which had some old buildings that looked a bit like they were from the British TV comedy of the 80s, Heidi High, which is set in the fictitious Maplin's Holiday Camp in the 1959 holiday season. In this scenario, there is an entertainment manager and company support staff all dressed in yellow coats trying to get campers involved in all kinds of jolly japes and comic capers. The visitors dress in short pants with knobbly knees. It was just the buildings in Signet that made me think of this. One of the house-like structures was occupied by the local branch of the Country Women's Association. But the standard stereotypes just didn't fit. I spoke to a lady who was probably only in her 30s. Hard to tell when wearing a mask. I hope I haven't offended her. And she was proud of her branch. She emphasised that it was not the typical image of CWA as something populated only by very old, conservative ladies. Apparently they have members aged from just 11 to 91. I found her rejection of the stereotypical word conservative interesting. That's not to say that they are all wild radicals, but the modern political debate has become nothing but a diatribe where words like conservative or socialist are used as pejorative weapons aimed at anyone you don't agree with. These CWA ladies had character and, I guess, a range of views. Anyway, about the driving. When I mentioned that I was in a hot Audi S3, 
She asked which road we had come down on. When I told her, she got a gleam in her eye and said, you should go home on the coast road, as it is very interesting. I understand that, like other drivable sections of road in Tasmania, parts of the coast road have been included in the Targa Tasmania road race. We did go home that way, and it proved interesting indeed. With our appreciation of the driver of a slow van towing a small trailer, who pulled over and let us past. I really want to go back to Tasmania for a holiday. This is Overdrive across Australia. Ford Everest, the next generation, has made its global reveal. With a new, tough and capable-looking exterior, the interior is aimed at cocooning the occupants in a comfortable, safe, high-tech and inviting cabin designed for daily duties and long road trips. The next-gen Everest offers a choice of two durable powertrains, the new 3.0-litre V6 turbo diesel and the existing 2.0-litre bi-turbo turbo diesel engine, both with 10-speed automatic transmissions. Everest is offered with two drivetrain options, a 4x2 rear-wheel drive in the ambient and trend, while the 4x4 variants across the range feature an advanced permanent four-wheel drive system that uses an electronically controlled on-demand two-speed electromechanical transfer case with selectable drive modes. In addition to the existing models, the new Everest introduces the Platinum model. It comes exclusively with the V6 engine, premium interior, 21-inch wheels, unique grille and a panoramic roof. Inside, the Platinum has heated and ventilated leather front seats with multiple electronic adjustment for the driver. This is a Motoring Minute. I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. Brian, we live in a world where corporate business tries to maximise profits by getting you to do everything. Anyone that's rung a call centre and has to go through five different menus to pick exactly where you're going. If you go to the supermarket, you have to scan your own goods. Tesla is doing a self-driving beta offer that uh, they're doing to people saying, well, you, you get the chance to try out our product or perhaps the better word is test out our product. You got a little bit of background on that? Well, David, this is an amazing story. So I've often been concerned about Tesla's full self-driving beta and this, this idea that you might be beta testing a bit of software on your computer that may cause a problem, right? It may cause a minor crash or an inconvenience or not work as advertised. But but in um, the Tesla full self-driving beta, people are testing with their own lives a system that's supposed to you know, replace human drivers. And interestingly, you know, one of the main reasons that people are interested and governments are interested in self-driving vehicles is most crashes have a human element or driven by human error. And so the thinking is that if you can take the humans out of the equation and, and have a better sort of automated system, then we can save lives, right? So we can, mm. there's also, um, you know, some benefits potentially for traffic flow. But this relies on these things being safer. Well, this self-driving beta uh, allows you to, to opt in and to choose three different levels of a driving approach for the self-driving. So one is called chill, one is called average, and one is called assertive. And in the assertive mode, David, Tesla says, in this profile, your Model Y will have a smaller follow distance. In, order, in other words, it'll, it'll drive closer to cars in front. It will perform more frequent speed lane changes, so it'll jump in and out of traffic. Will not exit passing lanes. So in other words, it'll hog the 
of the right lane in Australia and may perform rolling stops, which is, you know, at a stop sign, instead of fully stopping, it will basically not stop. So it's breaking the, the law. And in fact, you can also set it, the individual user can set the amount it will exceed the speed limit. So you can choose the, to have the car exceed the speed limit by 30 kilometres per hour. I like some of the comments that came out of it. One of them was they, they put in there that it allows you to drive like an arsehole, but to do it, even if you lack the skills, then Tesla is free for you. The, the rolling stop is also known in the East Coast as the California stop. In other words, you don't bother to do it. And there has been a number of rather derogatory comments to other brands that says that it'll allow you to drive like a, well, one was an Audi driver or a BMW. I make no comment on that, but it's tongue in cheek, yet the reality of it, it's a bit like saying, why don't you test our guns and put aside any concern about carrying them in public or doing anything like that. It's a case, I share your concern, that it is mechanising illegal behaviour. If this is how it behaves on the road with other vehicles, I'm thinking about, well, what's, what are the settings, therefore, that relate to pedestrians and cyclists? Because these are the vulnerable road users are a clear potential beneficiary of autonomous vehicles. But if you've got an aggressive driving mode that will perhaps you know, fail to stop at a marked pedestrian crossing, Do you think they'll automate everything that uh, when you come up to a pedestrian crossing and someone's hesitating on the side, it'll blow the horn, give the the finger, wind down the window and shout, get a job or get a car or something? These are the automated systems that we might look forward to. When we last talked, David, we we talked about a a road rage incident in Florida where, um, you know, it ended up in a gunfight and and clearly, um, you know, having perhaps some kind of turret gun turret on the vehicle mm. may be the next thing so that you can you know, have a battle, road rage battle that's uh, autonomously conducted. What would you put on your insurance form as to what car you're driving? And would you be obligated to put down that you will be going into assertive mode? And then would the insurance company underwrite your risk based on characteristics such as a flagrant disregard for the law. That's an interesting question, isn't it, David? Because nowhere in this sort of screen where you opt into and, and choose these settings, nowhere in there is the consequence of this. The fact that you as the driver may find your insurance void if you have chosen deliberately to operate beyond the law. Now, Tesla is very good at giving you cute messages if you wanted to go into what was the one ludicrous space beyond ludicrous, hi- yeah, ludicrous space, you'd press that and then then say, "Do you want to go ahead or do you want to go back to your mummy?" Right? So- yeah, that's right. They're daring you, aren't they, David? Mm. It's mm. Uh, yeah. I look as a company. I think there are some serious problems with Tesla around that, around that sort of encouragement of of speeding. One of the things I, I um, I'm quite annoyed about, or I'm noticing particularly with the rollout of zero emission vehicles and electric cars, is quite often the very first thing in the specification is the 0 to 100 speed. And electric cars are often very brisk and fast. So if you're trying to encourage safer driving or more more sustainable driving, then the 0 to 100 thing means nothing, right? It's like, how far can I go with this car? And, you know, will it be safe? And, uh, you know, this idea that you're a bold 
sort of um, space pirate out there choosing the assertive mode and going at ludicrous speed because you're being dared to by the person who makes a car is just an astounding idea. Brian, thanks for your time. See ya. Thank you, David. You're listening to Overdrive. The Toyota Kluger has been extremely popular with buyers since its first release. An all-new model was released in June last year and now includes a hybrid version. Hybrids work well for medium-sized SUVs as they combine the benefits of excellent fuel economy with no range anxiety. The hybrid system is available in all three GX, GXL and Grande grades, combination with the E4 electric all-wheel drive system. It combines a 2.5-litre four-cylinder petrol engine with three electric motor generators, two at the front and one at the rear, with a large hybrid battery to provide seamless performance and traction in all road conditions. Under the bonnet, the petrol engine generates a maximum power of 142 kilowatts and peak torque of 242 Nm. The hybrid system delivers a combined maximum power of 184 kilowatts through a smooth electric continuous variable transmission that offers driver-selectable normal, eco and sport modes. Economy is claimed to be 5.6 litres per 100 k's and we weren't too far off that on the test. Price from 54150 through to 75700 plus the usual costs. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to the Audi executives, Sean Cleary and Peter Stradwick, and to Brian Smith and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au for links to the socials and podcasts. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.